Hello and welcome to episode 53 of Linux After Dark. I'm Joe. I'm Chris. I'm Kerry. And I'm Dalton. Welcome back, chaps. Something has gone wrong in the timeline. Proprietary software is not popular. All software is free software. It might be because someone sued Microsoft in the early days and won somehow, or the DMCA doesn't exist, or any number of possible things. Software patents just exploded for some reason. I don't know. All software is free software. What does the world look like? I would like to think that support is valued highly because the idea of hoarding the code and intellectual property falls away. Because even if something is completely fully open source, I spend my day supporting people using tools like that. We can look at the entire code base, but that doesn't mean that everyone in the world can automatically look at that code, interpret it and go, oh, this is how I use that. So I would like to think there would be a shift where we didn't prioritize the idea of this is my precious, you can't see it, give me loads of money and you get the Larry Ellisons of this world, etc. And it changes so that it's just a de facto agreement that you're not hoarding that and doing the whole Joseph Smith and the plates routine. And uh, you just get to focus on the other areas of how software works. Maybe that's a naive outlook. I like how our Utah downloads just dropped off the cliff there. <laughs> <laughs> well, the only way this could be possible is if we develop some sort of post-capitalist society, a Star Trek-style free energy replication situation where we don't need to have capitalism anymore. I just don't see how it would be possible otherwise. Well, someone makes a really good argument with a lot of money behind it that software is just a really long math equation and you can't copyright math. Yeah, you can't copyright numbers. I mean, it, it does surprise me because a, a binary file is just a load of numbers, right? It's just a really long number. Yeah, it's just one long number. So yeah, I suppose let's say that we, it's still this great capitalist system that we're in now. I feel like things might be a bit worse, but also a lot better. <laughs> like phones, for example, wouldn't be as good. Like the cameras wouldn't be as good, but then other stuff would be better, so it'd be fine. Well, would they not be as good or would we still have the same work, but we'd just be able to see the code behind it? I'd say that they might just be way better even. Yeah, because theoretically, there's no reason Google couldn't open source the stuff behind the Pixel camera if they really, really wanted to. Like, we have the skills to write the code. It's just we don't share it. But then every phone manufacturer would be able to do the same thing. So they'd have to get even better. Yeah, but then everyone would get better at the same time because of the the code would be out there. Oh, no. That's what's really interesting. Joe keeps trying to make counter-arguments with a tone of it being terrible, but <laughs> everything you're saying is, is good. That's the difficult thing. I know, but I'm saying there'd be no motivation to do that because you need this capitalist motivation, I think. And I accept that that's bad, but it's it's sort of like the argument against UBI, isn't it? universal basic income, that if everyone was on a level playing field, there'd be no incentive to innovate and stuff. And th there's people who will tell you that's bullshit, but I don't know, man. I I'm very much in favor of UBI. Let's see. Let's give it a go. But I don't think it's necessarily going to be just all rosy. I feel like it's human nature for people to want to better themselves. So if you did have 
some kind of universal basic income. There are always going to be people, for sure, who just go, oh, well, I'm the same as everyone else, that's it. But I feel like it's probably human nature that at some point, someone is going to want to be better. Then someone's going to want to be better than that. And then you probably just end up back in the mess we're in now. But hey, yeah, let's try. It is human nature for people to compare themselves against their neighbors and to want to be better, to uh, expand their DNA horizons further, as it were. It was a thing that we kind of needed to evolve this far. So I think that at some point, things would continue to evolve it might just be in hardware rather than in software because that'll be somewhere that it's actually a little bit difficult to get the thing to the customer fast enough whereas with software it's practically instant to deliver it to the customer so it's extremely level also you think about musical skills for example it's perfectly possible for everyone walking the earth to be shown how you play the guitar but you don't need to keep any of that information secret some of them are going to be better at it than others, but it doesn't mean you need to hide how to play the guitar well or try and like keep that information a secret. The universal basic income example, I think, is is a good one. I think the, the naysayers are always, oh, this is going to create just hordes of feckless people that don't want to do anything. But I don't think that's true. I think a large majority of people would get bored. The, the idea behind it is that we waste a huge amount of money because people are so oppressed trying to claw their way to the very basic level of income that allows them to live. And if you took that away, it would reduce the burden of the cost of healthcare. People would hopefully be less depressed, so they'd be less sick because they would look after themselves a bit more, because they would feel more optimistic. The difficulty is it's never been tried on a grand scale, just like if all software was free software. We're beyond the pale. We can't really see how that works fully. And whenever anyone tries to do it, then some bald bastard in Silicon Valley comes along and says, I'm having that and stamping my name on it. So everyone has to pay me, you fuckers. But what about the uncomfortable truth that it is very hard to make money out of open source software? How would that be easier if everything was open source? Because a popular model now is open core. You have an open source community offering, and then you add some value to it with proprietary bits. That wouldn't be possible in this scenario. So would a lot of companies just not develop that free software in the first place? Or would they just have to offer support? I think they'd have to offer support and some other kind of value add whilst keeping the software open, right? Not everyone is going to be able to read and understand and do what they want with that software. So I think there would still be a model where... Not only would you need to support it, but there would be a market for people paying you to develop features and things like that, much the same as there is now, but I guess on a wider scale. And software as a service, of course, but then you'd have big companies like Amazon just taking your software and running it and undercutting you. Could Amazon have gotten as big as it is under that situation? Well, it literally did, didn't it? All the Amazon services are closed source, though. A lot of what is built on top of is open source, though. Hmm. Interesting. And one of the ways that companies now make money is with these source-available business source licenses, where it is open source, or the, the source is available, whatever. But if companies want to run it as a service and sell it, they have to pay the company making it for a special license. And that wouldn't be possible anymore. I don't know. Am I... 
outing myself as a ruthless capitalist here. <laughs> you might be. I think it's more that you lack imagination in this sense. <laughs> There's a lot of ways that things could be, but because you're kind of stuck on how things are. The thing is, a lot of the business models that we see in software today just simply wouldn't exist. So everyone would have to find another way to specialize or generalize in order to make their dime off of it and continue to live. Software itself would just become a commodity, and I suppose there'd be quite a service of taking a bunch of software and stitching it all together to become something useful for people. And the result of that would be open source, just as all of the initial stuff was. So maybe there wouldn't be as many people in the software engineering profession. Maybe there'd be a lot more. Maybe the wages wouldn't be quite as good. But there'd be a heck of a lot less duplicated effort. Hmm. That much is definitely true. So there surely would be fewer engineers then, software engineers. I guess we'd find something else to do. Well, yeah, because you would need the bring up. But then once you've done the bring up, everyone else can see how you got there. So you can't then say, I did this. Now I keep what I did forever. And I think, yeah, it would be a shift. I, I think that's always the difficult thing, isn't it? I agree with Dalton here. If you're stuck in how the world operates now, it's hard to think how it would be if those things were all just taken away and it was given a chance to, you can't create something and then go, right, you can use this, but you can't see how it works. The Wizard of Oz effect. I still think I land on a, a positive note to think that it would be better. Well, something has just occurred to me, and I think that you're definitely right. It would be a positive. Things would be a lot more secure because you wouldn't be able to practice security through obscurity. You'd have to do a proper job of it. And there'd be a Darwinian effect whereby anyone making software that wasn't secure didn't implement encryption properly, that sort of thing, just wouldn't be able to get away with it. Whereas I'm sure there's plenty of proprietary software. I mean, we've seen it a number of times where they have made serious mistakes and they've got away with it for a certain period of time because it was proprietary. But if it was all out in the open, then at least in theory, someone would have found that far sooner and either fixed it, told the company making it to fix it, or everyone would have just stopped using that software. And I think that's a really important point to make in terms of where we are now, because you basically started to describe zero days there. And zero days are one of the most highly traded commodities in cyber warfare, for want of a better term. They've morphed from bug bounties to don't tell anyone else about this because we know that this country that we hate runs that software everywhere and we can leverage it. So don't tell anyone else. And that's the race now. The race isn't, I found this bug Let's get it to Adobe. Thank you very much. I'll have some money and possibly a job, depending on how severe it was. It's, I found this bug. Which country wants to buy it from me so that they can use it against their enemies? So it's a really, to, to have that fall away, again, I, I would see that as a positive. Would it fall away, though? Because you get plenty of zero days in open source software. Right. That would be interesting to know whether that happens or not. If there's more time granted to engineers to work on something because there aren't a bunch of competing versions of that thing. There's just the one thing or just a few of the things. I suppose we would end up with fewer bugs overall. The ones that were there would continue to be as severe as they are now. 
Maybe we would have just invented better languages at this point to not have the problem anymore. Maybe Rust would have actually been popular. (laughs) (laughs) The flip side of this coin is that you end up with a huge landscape of thousands and thousands of things that achieve a possible goal and nothing rises to the top because it's not rewarded and everyone is forking left, right and center. So who knows? Yeah, you'd have 500 video editors that were all shit. (laughs) (laughs) We don't now? All right, 5,000 or 5 million then. But you'd have no Premiere Pro. You'd have no Final Cut Pro. Are you trying to list off good video editors? It is my understanding that they are good. I've not had any experience with either of them. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I like OpenShot, man. It reminds me of Windows Movie Maker, which was great. It's obviously the pinnacle of video editors. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Caden Live's all right if you want to get fancy. Well, I can tell you one thing for sure is that I'd be 30 quid richer because I'd get my Windows license refund. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, there's one major, major downside to this thought experiment, right? Mm -hmm. If all software was free software, then we wouldn't be able to be smug about running Linux. We wouldn't be able to feel better than everyone else. This podcast might not exist. We wouldn't be in the 1%, 2 or 3% or 10% of desktop operating system users, depending on what your metric is. (laughs) Or maybe we would. Maybe there'd be a new esoteric operating system that only the hackers are running. Maybe they're running a proprietary operating system. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is the weirdest episode of Black Mirror I've ever watched. (laughs) Okay, this episode is sponsored by people who support us with PayPal and Patreon. Go to linuxafterdark.net slash support for details of how you can support us too. Linux After Dark is part of the Late Night Linux family, which means that for $10 a month on Patreon, you can get access to an RSS feed that contains all the Late Night Linux family shows without adverts like this. There's also an option to get just this show ad-free for $5 a month. Some of the episodes are even released a day or so early for Patreon supporters. The ad market isn't great at the moment, and frankly, It's been hard to find sponsors that don't want to do tracking bullshit, but so far we've managed to resist that. So if you like what we do and can afford it, it would be great if you could support us at linuxafterdark.net slash support. Let's do some feedback then. Daniel says, once I heard that fingerprints and other biometrics are usernames, not passwords. Since biometrics are not secret and possibly not even unique, They should not be used as the only security block. I will not register biometrics with my devices, and I consider it used improperly. (laughs) This is in regards to our phone episode where we talked about not registering our fingerprints or faces with our phones, yeah? Mm -hmm. Yeah, where Chris just revealed that he's just a bit of a tinfoil hat weirdo. (laughs) (laughs) The thing is, on mobile devices, both the iPhone and Android devices, If you are going through something where you suspect that you need to have a little bit more security, you can turn off biometric unlock real quick. So on the iPhone, on newer iPhones, that's volume up, volume down, then hold the power button. And that'll turn off Face ID and give you the power off screen. On Android, usually if you just go into the power off menu by holding the power button down, that should deactivate biometrics. But that's a neat trick if you want to have a little bit more security if you're, say, going through customs or a high police area or something like that. But what about this idea that their usernames, not passwords? That's probably true. But security and convenience are a sliding scale, and you get to pick where you are on that. Yeah, that's exactly my response, actually. 
these days, security has to be a whole toolkit. It is the security versus convenience and threat model thing. And you need to decide, like, honestly, how likely is it that someone's going to come and chop my finger off and do a demolition man and all the rest of it? Probably not very likely. It goes back to XKCD and the $5 wrench, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, sure, the password's in your head, but a determined person is going to beat the shit out of you until you utter it from your lips. So, yeah, it's a whole mixture of things, I think. That obviously isn't a reason to be totally defeatist about it. If you are in a jurisdiction where you can be coerced to use biometrics, but you can't be coerced to use a password, that can be something that you take into account when considering your threat model Mm. and whether you're going to use biometrics or not. I have started trying out Windows Hello on Windows, and I can't actually figure out a way to turn it off, so I don't know if I recommend it as much as I do Android or iOS, where you can kind of plan ahead on those, even though you're more likely to be surprised. You know, it's just that sliding scale, and be sure to know the security tools or the insecurity tools that you're using and where their limits lie. Robin told us about various laptop screen and scaling woes and how he eventually settled on a ThinkPad. He said, the display panel is 14 inches, 2880 by 1800, 16 by 10, which basically acts as a super sharp 1440 by 900 on a 14 inch 90 hertz panel at two times scaling. Absolutely no issues while running SwayWM, Wayland. Have not tried Xorg as I've never had any issues with Wayland, so can't speak on the subject of scaling on X. And so Robin's point was that scaling can be really good, but you have to get it exactly right, otherwise it can be pretty horrible. Right, you have to be able to use integer scaling, because non-integer scaling runs into the problem of, okay, this is a one-pixel border. Should it be two pixels or one pixel now? And those are problems that have been solved by various vendors before, but it has not been solved in a coherent way on either Windows or Linux. Because I saw Windows 11 on a 1080p 15-inch screen, and it was by default scaled to 1.25. Blurry mess. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's horrible. The blur is really noticeable on Windows when I've been in fractional scaling, for sure. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's the worst when you have multiple displays that have different scaling, or if you switch that scaling after an application starts. Usually, if you start out at 1.25x on a boot, it's going to be okay, but there are some applications that just don't handle it well. I think of like the old Nursoft stuff that literally everyone uses because it's the most useful software ever written in the world. <laughs> but I stand by my assertion that GNOME does scaling really well. Like You just don't notice it. It just looks really crisp and everything just seems to be the right size just by default in my experience. Mm. I don't know. I still think for me, I just scale everything to 100% deal with it. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Young Eyes over here. Right, well, we'd better get out of here then. We'll be back in a couple of weeks, but until then, I've been Joe. I've been Chris. I've been Gary. And I've been Dalton. See you later. <laughs>